Comes to you once a week, recapping the Hollywood week that was getting you ready for the Hollywood week to come. This is Mike, Mike, and Oscar Weekly. Hashtag MMO Weekly. Hashtag MMOW. I am your co host, Mike One. Co host also, Mike. In a moment, we recap all the big news going around the Hollywood industry in this uh, this weekly news show we have, but. Uh, uh, is there going to be an industry to talk about in a couple, like you know, months, weeks, days? It's scary, and it's affecting the both of us too. Like I, I went to the movies Friday, but uh, I, I don't know about you, but I was a, an agoraphobe. Oh Saturday, yeah, Saturday and Sunday, I yeah. didn't go anywhere. Yeah, so I was it, supposed it, to meet some friends out, and I was like, well, oh, it sounds like a, a packed place. I'm going to skip. There's one <laughs> confirmed case in Connecticut, mm-hmm. or two confirmed cases in Connecticut at this moment, and. I was like, well, this is in the same town of my movie theater, so I probably shouldn't go. Like, why risk it right now? It's going to kind of be the theme of our week in a way. Yeah, We're going to analyze the heck out of it at the start of this show. But, uh, you know, we'll, we'll take a more optimistic turn as the week goes along. Today, doom and gloom. <laughs> A little bit to start things off. <laughs> Doom and gloom and the coronavirus and its impact in the entertainment industry is and has been our news of the week. News, 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 So the market downturn this Monday morning is the the newest yeah. uh, news that have that it's come out. The entertainment stocks have hit a 52-week low, but that that's happening everywhere. I think the biggest news, of course, over the last week is that South by Southwest has canceled. It was canceled by August City officials, and they mandated it. South by wasn't thrilled. They're still thinking it might be a postponement. They're still thinking of doing some virtual component. I don't know if anything's been updated since the end of last week when I put this thing together. A lot of conventions have canceled. They don't know what's going on. We're all kind of in the dark about the coronavirus thus far. I think it's a smart move that South by uh, pulled the plug. I was kind of surprised they were able to do so with so few days left until the event. They did this with less than a week going. And as far as the impact on the Oscars and the film industry and what it means for things we do here in MMO, we talked a couple times already about how that that Judd Apatow movie, The King of Staten Island, was supposed to lead the South by Southwest film portion of that their festival there. That was the big Pete Davidson pseudo-biopic, and now that's gone by the wayside as well, so who knows what it means when that'll be shown and premiered. And uh, Again, the most impressive thing about this to me was that this was supposed to be a gathering of some hundreds of thousands of people and the Austin mayor was just like yeah we're not going to do this everybody stay home it's a dream destination for you and I at some point yeah oh yeah I I know I really want to go to Austin I love going to Texas when I can I I definitely want to you know make an appearance there at some point I don't necessarily think like this is a huge component to Oscar campaigns no no I agree I I agree I don't think it, it, it is super necessary in that regard, but I, I it's very important for the economy of Austin. They rely on it. So I do hope that it's more of a postponement than a cancellation. I know it's been tabbed as the latter thus far. It seems like this virus is going to get worse before it gets better for a couple of reasons. And I, I think any kind of major gathering of people in a public forum, it's best to just not 
do it right now? Why risk it? I mean, even look at some of the, the senators and people, some of the congressmen, CPAC, which is a big gathering of the conservative uh, wing of, po of American politicians, somebody was infected there that came in contact and yeah. it's, it's hit Ted Cruz and it's hit a couple other Republican senators and it's... I mean, this thing is just everywhere now, and people are putting themselves into self-quarantine, which I don't think is the worst idea. If you look at how it's, you know, become a plague in Italy, where yeah. they cut off the top half of the country, you know, China, obviously, they, they've shut down theaters there. It's a problem overseas. Yeah. It, is it going to take the same path here that it did there? It could. I mean, if we've learned from it, if we develop a vaccine, if, if all this time and, and the ability to learn from it and prepare for it is something that the medical industry has, has actually, you know, gotten ahead of, we don't really know yet. It's very strange. Like, we got the whole fake news cycle for, for the last few years. A lot of people are suspicious that this is even a huge problem. Yeah. Which, which is its own troubles. And I've seen stats and I've seen some, some graphs and some uh, information that suggests that this is growing at a more rapid rate than any of the past pandemics that we've kind of all freaked out about. It's, it's SARS was the leader in the clubhouse as yeah. far as something that was spreading the fastest. And this outpaced SARS about a week ago already just in America. So this is a, this is a big deal. It's basically the flu. And I know there's some skeptics out there that are like, well, what's, you know, what's so bad about the flu? Why is everyone freaking out about something that's essentially the flu? Yeah, okay, I get that. But still, if, if the flu was bad enough where it was killing 2% of everyone that had it and it right. was spreading at the rate that this virus is, yeah, that'd be a big freaking story. <laughs> We'd all be terrified of it. So I think the reaction, is it a little overblown? Maybe, depending on how much of it, how much media you consume and how many headlines it's making. But I think it's kind of proper for people to take the necessary precautions and wash their hands, maybe more so than regularly, and maybe not so go glad-handing and shaking hands with everyone and high-fiving. And if you can avoid human contact for a couple days, if it doesn't come naturally to you like it does to people like Mike and I, <laughs> maybe you want to take that step and maybe, you know, stay home one Saturday night instead of going out. But big moves are being made by the Hollywood industry. That That's probably yeah. scaring me more than anything else. I do want to follow up on the James Bond movie change that we, uh, we covered yeah. in uh, two episodes ago. It moved from April 10th to November 25th. Uh, we have estimates from um, Pamela McClintock Hollywood Reporter article saying that the film, if it was released now would would earn 25 to 30 percent less than it would earn in november obviously the chinese market being hopefully reopened at that point yeah. it should accommodate that 30 percent jump or at least you know that salvaging south korea and italy they have huge dips in attendance and there's just an article today about italy cl finally closing its theaters i wonder if that's going to happen to america i think the film industry in in general, is on the precipice of some massive, massive decline. It might be in a lot of trouble and a lot more than we're giving it credit for. I, I did the research and I looked up year to date right now, 2020 is actually outpacing the 2019 domestic box office by a little more than 2.5%. Mm -hmm. But we're entering a stretch where if you compare times in the calendars to where that was in 2019, quarter two of 2019 had the pillars such as Captain Marvel, Avengers Endgame, Shazam, and Aladdin to buoy it. 2020 is starting to have blockbusters move themselves out of this quarter. I think we're on the verge of the year-to-date comparisons in the 2020 box office as a whole to 
really just plummeting, and it could lead to some catastrophic numbers. It could lead to some catastrophic changes within the industry. I think Netflix has got to be laughing their way to the bank right now. Yeah, but I wonder if Netflix wanted a stronger slate for now. I mean, they got some intriguing films coming out. Spencer Confidential, I don't know about you. I had no interest in watching <laughs> no, it this past weekend. We'd have to ask Andrew there uh, from the Nomcast if it was any good. We have Lost Girls coming out this weekend. Yeah. We're, we're intrigued by that one with Thomas and McKenzie and Amy Ryan. Is that an Oscar player? I don't know, but it seems like an appointment viewing, so that's that's cool. My Spy got pushed back to April 17th. I, I, think, uh, I think it's interesting that films are jockeying, moving around. St. Maud actually moved up to try and capitalize on the uh, April 10th vacancy now that Bond move, moved out. So that, that's an interesting uh, development that uh, A24 is going to try and... Uh, you know, get a hit. So as much as this coronavirus is directly impacting the film industry, now we have these indirect impacts in the film industry. And I think this is one of the more interesting subplots. One, does something that Netflix puts out, does it get more Oscar eyes to it just because people are so desperate to consume any kind of new movies True. without leaving the house? I have a problem. I have. I need my fix. <laughs> yes. Two, this jockeying for release dates that studios are doing are kind of an unforeseen consequence and fallout of this. So like you said, My Spy is moving to April 17th only because they see that as a more primo date for to get money, to, to sure. buoy their box office and, and draw people to the theaters. They think it's a more attractive release date. And now they don't have to worry about competing with a major studio film like No Time to Die. I talked about this in our last Bond episode about smaller films maybe reaping some benefits of the coronavirus. I thought originally My Spy was a big studio film, but it's made by STX, who are smaller, and so therefore probably, again, the smaller studios right. probably are less reliant on the international market to make a profit. So maybe My Spy, by moving their release date, maybe they know what they're doing and maybe they're not scared of the corona being you know so out of control by the middle of april like like mgm was and bond was that they can get some kind of benefit from this and more money than they would have originally if they were released this weekend like was the original plan what is surprising to me though is the fact that this film was due out this weekend as you said and again, with just days to go until premiere, I know it was already debuting in a couple of New York theaters. Yeah. They switch it now. So I'm very surprised by the truncated schedule with which these studios and these major happenings and events like, like South by Southwest, they're not waiting weeks out in advance to make these switches. They don't care if it's only a couple days or mere hours before these debuts and premieres are supposed to happen. They're moving these things with pretty much ease, I would say. I didn't see a lot of blowback from South by Southwest moving or from my spy being moved. Well, STX did a great job with Hustlers last year coming off of that yes. Toronto buzz, but that was pre-planned. We have A24 moving up with St. Maud. We have MGM losing big money and, and a big marketing push yeah. that they made. I, I think it was estimated 30 to $50 million Yeah, that was the word. From moving bond. Uh, Daniel Craig was just on Saturday Night Live this weekend. Mm -hmm. Is that wasted? I don't think it's wasted, but it doesn't have the same impact it would if his big film was coming out the following weekend. They had a funny Bond sketch, oh, too. I loved on it. Yeah, 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 yeah. Very funny. Yeah. I was home all week. I watched everything. So I agree <laughs> with you. I, I definitely think, uh, it, obviously, the marketing would have played better if the movie was coming out 
about, you know, and it was ramping up to that film. That also kind of shows you what the studios think the impact of this virus is going to be on these major studio pictures. Maybe not the smaller ones like the My Spies of the World, but with the No Time to Die, we're going to swallow, says MGM, this 30 to $50 million loss because it's just going to be worth it. I mean, 30 to $50 million, they must be a drop in the bucket compared to what they're viewing as projections for this film if it were to come out in April, especially in the overseas markets. If it's a 25% difference in, in terms of the overseas market being alive or not alive, right? Yeah. Then that's, pro- for a billion dollar film, that's right. $250 million. Right. So you eat 50 to make an extra 200 right you totally do that every time they also are capitalizing i think no time to die they're capitalizing on a weaker fall for tent poles i think you got the big musicals but you don't have the known mcu star wars harry potter you don't have that those known films that are coming out this year i mean the big blockbuster this year is probably dune and dune is 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 a question mark i would Mm. say west side story i mean movies like that i i think they're you know looking at their brand being something that'll be easily recognizable with the halloween kills that'll do well in november and daniel craig is also crushed on thanksgiving so i don't think they're (laughs) that's true worried in that regard here's the big question are other movies coming out in early quarter two gonna move black widow fast nine every studio thus far from uh, disney to paramount to universal to wb they have all made statements to the effect that their films are staying put that uh, last year's you know quarter one quarter two stars like Captain Marvel they're gonna do well enough again this year to leave them there. But what's interesting, Mike, and I know you've mentioned this, Eternals is coming out November sixth. Disney owns dates on the calendar. Yes. Could they shuffle things around if this does get worse? There has been a rumor that they're gonna move that if Disney were to move Black Widow, that would be pushed to November sixth. The Eternals then would be kicked to twenty twenty one. And again, we you could talk about the impact on that in a litany of ways, not only with the box office, but if the Eternals does have legs for the Academy Awards, like we've kind of not prophesized, but maybe speculated that it might and could if it's treated in a certain way and with the talent attached and the story that they could, the direction the story could go. Uh, maybe that has, and maybe we're talking about already an Oscars potential candidate being kicked to next year's race. Uh, I, I think it's nuts that it's March right now, and we're talking about impact on both the box office race and the Oscars race for all the way down to the end of the calendar year. I mean, November 6th is. You know, eight months. We just came off in November, right? <laughs> We're talking about the next one already. Uh, that just shows you the impact of this virus. I think it's kind of crazy. And again, I go back to if you're able to move my spy. Okay, my spy doesn't have the big marketing attached, so maybe you can make that caveat. But James mm-hmm. Bond does, and maybe a lot of people aren't planning on seeing James Bond anyway. But a lot of people were planning on going to South by Southwest, so there doesn't really seem to be any kind of safeguard as far as something that can't be moved right now. And if you move a Marvel movie, especially, I think that's a big deal. But it doesn't matter how far out you do it. We're proving, uh, the major entities are proving, they don't care if it's a day or two days or a week to go. They'll they'll shift things around on the calendar. So I think, like you said, to kind of start this section, the industry in a whole might be in a holding pattern to see just how much worse this virus gets in America. Because if American theaters start shutting down, I think the entire slate gets cleaned. The way it's gone in Italy is scary to me because basically they were defiant about it and they didn't close things up and they kept things open and then they had a 79% drop and a 95% drop from the previous year in terms of their box office. So 
Italian theaters finally closed, and there's been a host of stories that the Cannes Film Festival is next, even though, you know, it's not happening until May 12th to the 23rd. That, Michael, would scare me. If, if Cannes says, we just cannot have this in May, months from now, after they boasted this past weekend that their accreditation in terms of who's going there, it is actually up 9%, that they have no plans of moving the festival. Look, we've seen you know French people make belligerent stands in the last <laughs> month in terms of the film industry, yes. and Cannes has certainly been... They're very stubborn over there. They've been very loud yes. about what they believe in. Now, yes. hopefully this is a good sign. It means things are wrapping up over there. Or they see light, they see hope. At the light at the end of the tunnel, they see hope at the end of this crisis, and they're optimistic that they can fix it. But I, I'm I'm worried in terms of the you know the negativity and how the Hollywood Reporter and Variety and all the big trades are covering it though. Yeah, again, look, May 12th when Cannes is supposed to start is still over two months away, and South by Southwest, which has more than ten times the attendees that something like Cannes does, took three days before the festival to cancel. So. I understand people that run can want to be a little defiant, want to dig in and say, we're not scared of this. And I think that's a smart move to do. It shows professionalism and shows that they're not going to be kind of scared. Or it shows that this is a situation where like, nobody panic. Right. Nobody exactly. Panic. Exactly. Everybody right. <laughs> so I'd say let's wait until like the first week of May to right. see what's going to happen with can specifically. I, I, I can't imagine it'd be that big of a deal to cancel if, again, South by Southwest, which had 400,000 people, can last year had only 30,000 people accredited to go in 2019. I, I would think they can cancel it probably without a lot of blowback. Right. I just wish people could just be honest with everybody else and just be like, hey, we don't know. It, we're, it looks, we're hopeful that this can't show can weakness. Be, you can't, can't show, show weakness. any weakness because marketing and stock mm -hmm. markets and... Oh, volatility. <laughs> My God. Anyway, let's take a big picture view for, for one more second here. There was a report uh, from The Hollywood Reporter, our go-to site here, that the global film industry was projected to lose about $5 billion with the coronavirus. This was a report well, early last week, Michael. Yeah, this is what I'm and talking about when I say that this film industry could be looking at some catastrophic numbers and what it could mean for some studios coming up. Uh, we could be seeing some major, major happenings as far as closings or rearrangings or something's got to give because if you look at the industry as a whole the past few years just domestically 2019 domestic box office was 11.3 billion 2018 11.9 billion 2017 11 billion 2016 11.4 billion total okay those are just the domestic numbers the film industry globally is projected to possibly lose five billion dollars if you say half of that affects america you're looking at a Domestic box office for the year, somewhere between eight and a half and nine billion dollars. We haven't seen those numbers for the yearly box office in America since like 2002, I think the year was. So we're resetting the clock about 17, 18 years with this coronavirus. That's going to have an impact because inflation has gone way up in the last 17 or 18 years. True. So I think the biggest studios have their hands in other pots and they can survive this. The Hollywood Reporter, when they were talking about the entertainment industry stocks going down, things like Sony were okay, right? I think the biggest the biggest studios in the industry are going to be okay. Your Disney's are going to be fine, obviously. Sony seems like they have enough to survive this. 
I actually think, again, I think the smaller studios may reap some benefits from this. If you have an STX, which is only relying probably primarily on the American market anyway, mm -hmm. and they see a more primo release date for my spy, maybe they do get more money in from the domestic box office. They don't have to worry about what's going on so much with the international box offices. I think we're, what could run into trouble is some of these mid-budget studios who put a lot of money for them into a picture, especially if that movie gets poor reviews out of the gate and nobody wants to see it anyway, I, I think that could greatly affect what happens with those types of movies. I don't know what St. Maud has in store, but that's kind of the one of the ones that jumps to the forefront. If that one kind of stumbles out of the gate as is, if nobody wants to see it, that could greatly impact A24. God forbid if the same thing happens with A Promising Young Woman, for example. If that doesn't live up to the hype and people, first word of mouth, it's very negative from that, maybe that has some blowback for that studio. So precarious precarious time that we're in right now the biggest blockbusters and the biggest corporations are going to be okay i, I worry about some of these mid-level studios that are just starting to really blossom and grow how they're going to survive this but i guess that's enough of like the doom and gloom about what the coronavirus <laughs> is doing let's try to pivot to a more positive note or at least somewhat for the yeah. moment for the moment and then we'll get back to negativity not <laughs> death related for now right it's not death related but there is a heavy story attached to the berlin film festival we got some winners the iranian film there is no evil won the golden bear here's the plot premise uh, it's four stories that are variations on the crucial themes of moral strength and the death penalty that ask to what extent individual freedom can be expressed under a despot despotic regime and its seemingly inescapable threats. So that's the positive aspect of this episode. <laughs> no. uh, Synonyms won the Golden Bear Prize last year at the Berlin Film Festival. That was mm -hmm. the latest from Nadav Lapid, who we've talked about a few times here on MMO. Right. He was the writer-director of the original Kindergarten Teacher movie. Yes. This is obviously a great win, but I don't know that the Berlin Film Festival translates much to any correlation with having to do with Academy success. I was looking down the list of Golden Bear winners. The only one that really stuck out to me as far as notoriety was Hayao Miyazaki's tie win for Spirited Away again back in 2002. But since the film the film industry is being set back to 2002 by Corona, maybe, maybe there's some relevance there. Uh, relevant again. <laughs> well, it, there is a narrative attached to this story that is heroic. Yes. And it's something Timely. That, that that could play long term because we have a guy taking a stand for free speech, taking a stand for what he believes. And, and I don't know what this movie entails. I mean, I've read mm -hmm. the premise, that's it, just like you. But director... Of There Is No Evil, Mohammed Razalov uh, is serving a prison sentence now in Iran, essentially for making these movies. And it's, he, I, I think the charge is like propaganda against the state, something like to that effect. Yeah, which could be considered treason, depending on which country you're in. But look, this is why this president in America lashing out against the film industry and against the Academy and insinuating and actually right. starting legal actions... It's a big fucking deal because you don't get to that point with what's going on with Mohammed Resolouf in over in Iran overnight. It starts with a leader who consolidates all power within himself and then starts weaponizing that power to lash out against people who use their freedom of speech and expression to kind of be cathartic, essentially, and use their art to make a statement. Guess what? If the consolidated power guy doesn't like that statement, that's all he needs. That's a big deal. <laughs> It is a big deal, and it, and it does scare me and piss me off, quite yeah. frankly. And look, I mean, we've seen this happen in Iran a couple of times uh, in recent years, whether people have been threatened with prison time or they've actually been thrown in jail. And 
heroes over there making films. Scrubs, yeah, absolutely. Making heroes. art absolute despite uh, what the what the regime is is basically and the law they're laying down. Iran's not the only country that suffers Correct. this, obviously. I mean, this is why the international film category, we gave it such a highlight last year, because the blossoming of it and the growing of it is a big deal because a lot of these filmmakers are being done in some countries that have to deal with this, for lack of a, a word, a better word, bullshit. Yeah, it's, it's, it's really scary. Anyway, we have a story that could be interpreted <laughs> optimistically before we finish this segment, and then we have a fun segment coming up, but... The Academy, they have re-upped their CEO, Dawn Hudson, and her contract is now going to go through 2023. Mike? I think you have the best take on this with what you wrote down, so go ahead. Well, if the Academy is truly worried about declining ratings for their broadcast, and if the sky is really falling for the Oscar, and if everything is just, quote-unquote, going down and trending down with this award show, like some people perpetuate Mm -hmm. is happening out there. And, and that's the chatter. Then why are they re- renewing their CEO's contract? Yeah. We've seen this happen in other big industries, especially entertainment industries before. You don't re-up Roger Goodell's contract right. if the NFL is totally trending down. It doesn't make sense the to biggest decision Adam Silver. The biggest yep. decision makers, I mean, the, the buck stops there. So the, uh, to me, like I read this, I, I, I hope... I think, perhaps, <laughs> as a positive sign that they're really hyped about the museum, that they do think that the overall, you know, cachet of the Oscars is trending upward or at least, you know, holding strong. I, I, I read it optimistically. I yeah, I, I'm with you. I share your optimism there, and I think it's a good read by you, and I hope that's that's kind of what the impetus behind this decision was. I can't imagine... Especially with so much on the line right now for the Academy specifically in this year that's going to be really hampered by, by this coronavirus. You opening this museum finally after, what, a decade basically of construction and decision making attached to it. You obviously trust the vision of this CEO, so why not give them a chance to, to further explore what they can do and expand? And look, if ratings were the be-all, end-all, then there'd be a lot of people getting fired across the various entertainment industries right now because ratings are in such flux when you have YouTube and you have all different streaming services and people cutting the cords and whatever. So, yeah, let's see what Don Hudson can do and, and let's go forward and, and hopefully the Academy uh, not only survives but thrives. I am now optimistic about this. It's confirmed. <laughs> I was like on the fence and I thought I was optimistic. You're and you're not optimistic about a lot of things. No, no. The coronavirus is going to kill us the all. The fact that you piggybacked <laughs> on my optimism is the, the best part of this episode thus far. You know what it is? It's, it comes from a place of hate, though, because I got so sick of people talking about, oh, the ratings are down. See, the Academy Awards are bad again. Whatever got you there. I'm happy with it. <laughs> Let's talk about Do You Care? This is the Do You Care segment. This is where we take news stories of the week. We ask each other, do we, should we, or will we care about them? Please, God, let these be happy stories. <laughs> the way we start every Do You Care segment is I take my own little coronavirus here, Michael, and I ask him about the upcoming what? releases, both in theaters and on VOD, and going wide this week, Michael. Supposedly, anyway, as of right now, we have I Still Believe. This is where we're at, people. 
It's about a country <laughs> music star and uh, his sick wife. We've seen a lot of these trailers at your podunk theater. Yeah. Who thinks uh, they have the demographics to go see this movie. <laughs> I, I don't care about it. Sorry. The Hunt is finally coming out. I do care about it, but it's one of those middling movies. Like, I'm curious about it, but am I going to risk... My Corona <laughs> to go see it <laughs> go this see weekend. It. We may not. Right. We were thinking about reviewing it, but now we're, we may not. There's something in Bloodshot that speaks to me about maybe something like that type of movie can take advantage of everybody being scared to go to theaters because you have people that are going to show up to theaters anyway and they're like, well, I might as well go see Vin Diesel's latest because it's the only new thing playing. So Bloodshot's coming out as well. But here's the thing. Like, if Netflix just bought The Hunt and Bloodshot this weekend... A thousand percent. We would watch all... A thousand percent. We would watch both of those. Yep. Coming Limited, Mike, we have never, rarely, sometimes, always. We've previewed that. We are going to see this and hopefully review it in some way, shape, or form at some point. It does have Oscar buzz. Mm -hmm. Big time adolescence as well. A Pete Davidson movie that will be hitting theaters. Yeah, it's hitting theaters, which is notable because we kind of were wondering if it's going to be something that Hulu pushes for the Oscars. So it's going to hit theaters before it hits Hulu, and that's very positive. I like that. Yeah, I'm, I'm excited to see that as well. Uh, coming out on VOD, which is something you all may be interested interested in as you board up your homes and don't talk to strangers <laughs> charlie's angels spies in disguise the grudge richard jewel dark waters queen and slim uncut gems and bombshell all coming out this week well richard jewel was was awesome queen and Loved slim it. uncut gems yeah. bombshell dark waters they all got positive reviews from us i'm curious to see charlie's angels see how bad it was i guess <laughs> uh, and i'm curious to see spies in disguise because i always wanted to see a movie about a pigeon secret agent especially after we did uh Two six of the Bond character studies. Yes. You finally cross that I off might, your I bucket might list. That. I might rent that. I guess it's you know if you're one of those people that kind of doesn't keep up to date with seeing all the Oscar contenders when they come out, this virus is really hitting at a perfect time for you because now you have oh, an excuse you to stay in and just take your pick. Plow I mean, through last year's Oscar contenders and listen to our Oscar sprint profiles before with a non-spoiler <laughs> section and then click on it again after with a spoiler section. We got a whole playlist of all those if you need your fix of movie talk. Before and after there these, you go. these movie watches. Coming out on Netflix, we do have Lost Girls coming out this week. Yeah, Amy Ryan, Thomason McKenzie, the director from, I believe, a couple of great documentaries, is making her narrative film debut, Liz Garbus. This is a movie that we're very intrigued yeah. uh, to see. We may actually review it at the end of the week because we're afraid to go outdoors. So. <laughs> We're thinking about it. We're not committing to it just yet, but that's the kind of the plan right now. Jay and Silent Bob reboot goes to Amazon Prime. Now, you saw this. You bought this on VOD. It was, it was exactly what you think it's going to be. So I'm If you don't like that type of movie, don't watch it. But I, if I'm bored, I turn this on. You'll chuckle, for with, sure. With a few chuckles. Yeah. And on Disney+, Plus, we have Stargirl. All right. I, I'm into this because it's the only new thing from Disney+. Plus. I'm telling you. And I need more new things from Disney+, Plus, or I'm going to stop. I swear, at some point over the next three months, if we do this 14 or 50 more times to me and yeah. not give me new content, I'm going to cancel my subscription. The old squeak threat from basketball. I swear <laughs> to God, you guys rag on me 14 or 15 more times. I'm out of here. Michael, we got a bunch of superhero movie news. I'm dying to know what you think of the new Batmobile first looks from Robert Pattinson's The Batman. Am I a bad person if I say I don't care? So you don't? No, I really, I, I saw it and I was like, oh, okay, Batmobile, you're, cool. You're not a gearhead, though. And no, I'm not at all. looks like a souped-up car. That doesn't excite yeah. you? That nah, I mean, look, every Batmobile is kind of cool in its own way. Right. So for general curiosity's sake and knowing that we're actually going to get Pattinson with the Batmobile, his own Batmobile, yeah, that's, that's cool. But otherwise, 
give me something from the movie. And what I'll if we get like a 15 minute montage of him just like tightening lug nuts? Right. It's, it's like, like, it's like he's going through montage. an actual oil change for a half hour of screen time. And he's souping up this car. Would you, would you be into that? Would you be? I would all? tip my cap. Tip your cap. That's it. <laughs> Sam Raimi is set to direct Doctor Strange 2. Cheatsheet.com. Many other places are confirming this. And Doctor Strange 2 is a movie that a lot of people are looking forward to because it's the MCU, you know, really getting their feet wet into the horror genre because listen to this title or the subtitle into the multiverse of madness yeah and sam raimi is a man that knows how to make a decent horror movie and a decent superhero movie right so i, I think there's reason to be excited about this from that perspective now i bring concerns for this as well though because raimi hasn't directed a feature-length film or theatrical film either since 2013's oz the great and powerful as ann thompson likes to say maybe he was in a in director jail in a way, because Could if you be. make a bad movie, sometimes you go to director jail. Yeah. You know, Tom Hooper's probably there right now, I would guess, <laughs> after Cats. But, yeah, I mean, he's made a lot of classic horror films. Army of Darkness yep. is a cult classic. Drag Me to Hell, a modern yep. horror classic. The Evil Deads are just classics. So I'm with you on the optimism, but Spider-Man 3 wasn't hot, wasn't great. Oz the Great and Powerful was awful. Spider-Man 3 was horrendous. One of the biggest Terrible. disappointments I've ever sat Especially through. Especially after Spider-Man 2. Yep, so good. So good. And opinion. then such a... But that's, I mean, that's kind of part of my concern as well, that since 2000, he's only done The Gift, Oz the Great and Powerful, Drag Me to Hell, and then the Spider-Man movies. So he doesn't... He's been involved as a producer of yeah, a lot of things, he has. so he's working. It's not like he hasn't been working. I, just, I wonder if he went into director's jail. Could be. And uh, I would like to visit Director's Jail. I'll be the interviewer <laughs> that goes to Director's Jail just to get some interviews there. Just you and, like, Roman Polanski hanging out. No! <laughs> not that not that jail. I don't want to go to the Hannibal Lecter Not wing. actual jail. <laughs> no, absolutely not. But anyway, Christian Bale is confirmed by Tessa Thompson and the internet now. He is going to play the villain in Thor, Love, and Thunder. Yeah, we don't know much about the role, if anything, yet. We don't know what it's going to be. I'm very excited for this. Very excited. We're all in. And, we, you know, we've been on this story a little bit before. So uh, he, he can totally crush this but if he does the motion capture thing. And I would love to see outtakes of that. <laughs> I would love to see him with all those goofy-ass buttons in a green onesie. Yelling at somebody. Yelling at somebody. That would be really <laughs> fun to me. Or I'd love to see a parody of that. You, you know, and like, me are done professionally! With like tennis a, ball bobbing. a stuffed animal donkey. <laughs> yeah. You know, coming out of his... Like, if he hosts Saturday Night Live, he should basically parody the real story back when he was yelling at people. I, I'm down for that. Yes, I agree. I would like to see that. Hire finish. me as a writer and we'll do that. <laughs> we do have some sad news, but it's also a celebra celebration of a great life and a great career, Michael. This Monday morning, Max von Sydow, he passed away at 90 years of age. Yeah, he of the name Hall of Fames of people whose names I've always mispronounced without even knowing so. Uh, perhaps best known from roles in Igmar Bergman films like The Seventh Seal and Through a Glass Darkly. Von Sydow has 163 wow. IMDb credits dating back to 1949 and with a starring role already completed in the upcoming film Echoes of the Past, he has acted right up until the end of his life. Von Sydow was nominated for two Oscars for Pell the Conqueror in 1989 and Extremely Loud and Incredibly Close in 2011. And I do think it's fair to say that he never really got his due in terms of awards love, unfortunately. Yeah. 
But look, I mean, he's acted in some huge movies, and he has a resume that could never be forgotten. The Force Awakens, Shutter Island, Rush Hour 3, The Diving Bell and the Butterfly, Minority Report, Awakenings, Hannah and Her Sisters. Those are more recent films. He's played some iconic villains like Blofeld and Never Say Never Again, The Emperor Ming and Flash Gordon, Jobert in Three Days of the Condor. He's just he's had range, Michael. Oh yeah, and what I know him best from personally, he played Father Marin in The Exorcist, a great German soccer player in Victory, and King Ostrich and Conan the Barbarian. Von Sydow was introduced to a wide American audience in the greatest story ever told in 1965. And although his career prospered in Hollywood and elsewhere, as we've just documented here, Von Sydow will forever be linked to one of the world's most revered auteurs with his 11 performances for Ingmar. Bergman. We send our condolences obviously to friends and family. Well, true legend here. And 90 years true old legend. acting the entire time right up until uh, his passing day. Yeah. Uh, big miss. Uh, big will be greatly missed in the industry, no doubt. Definitely. Going to try to uh, pivot here as we do to box office update, Michael. We have a definitive top five and you throwing in a top six. Yeah, Onward made $40 million domestically, 28 international for a $68 million total. This is low for Pixar films. So I wonder, when we reviewed Onward, we said it was getting positive word of mouth at the outset and that $40 million original projection had changed to something that could be 45 to 50 million or more. I wonder if Corona has already taken effect on the theaters in America. I do think so. I do. I think I this do is as a well. real issue, at least in terms of perception. Yeah. And people are like, why bother risking that? Right. Because we don't necessarily know what's going on. I think it matters. The Invisible Man made 15 million this past weekend, showing that horror fans don't give an f about <laughs> what I just said. That is up to 98 million worldwide. Uh, James Wan was just tabbed to uh, be brought in by Universal to introduce another one of their monsters. So they're going forward with this Dark Universe soft reboot. I'm totally in for yep. this. Just have you know, great filmmakers make cool movies about these properties. Agree. $7 million budget, $8 million budget, $98 million worldwide take. Yeah. Look at the profits on that. to one, yeah, not bad if Excellent. you can do it. The Wayback made $8.5 million for a, a total worldwide. It didn't play well overseas, 9.1. And this is one of these movies that maybe gets a longer look by Oscar pundits because there's not going to be a lot of competition coming up. I would have seen this movie if I didn't get a phobia. Right. This weekend. And now, since it's competition, I, I don't think it's going to have any... Com I don't think we're getting Oscar movies until the end of the year, quite frankly. I don't think we're going to have any kind of... Comp I think this thing is going to impact the, the studio industry so much that I think any kind of pseudo-competitor is going to be moved uh, in the next couple months anyway. I would still say there's a bright spot in July with uh, the French Dispatch and Tenet. And Tenet, yeah. And, I, you know, honestly, June with uh, In the Heights, so thanks for shitting on the last four episodes we did when we uh, did our whole calendar. I'm sorry, man. Don't blame me. Blame the makers <laughs> of Corona beer. <laughs> Look, I, I would have said, you know, Bond was probably going to get a couple of definite nominations, that Black Widow, perhaps, yeah. that you usually see a movie or two, you know, that could have some legs. And we're going we're gonna to dive into this at our... At our quarter one Oscar race checkpoint, I'm already planning ahead, doing some research for that episode where I'm 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 dying to know which I shouldn't use uh, sayings like that no, these days, but I, I I'm dying to know which movies and how many movies from quarter one historically have factored into the Oscars and do those stats 
because that's going to be fun for me because I like numbers. Yeah, and it's going to be interesting to see, too, because I would think that this is going to be a relatively weak quarter one. But again, you have to compare it to nothing, essentially, for the next few months. If Corona keeps acting the way it does and studios True. keep reacting the way it does. No, you're not wrong. You're not wrong. But I do think there's some optimism for Insights so. and, uh, and for Tenet. Yeah, if it gets to June and we're still battling this thing, right. we're in The Walking Dead. Yeah, I'm afraid. Yeah. As well... <laughs> Of that. <laughs> Sonic made $8 million and it has two ninety five worldwide. That's a hit. I wonder how much more it would have made. What else yeah, know, they seem to do most of their damage before this thing was a worldwide epidemic. And so that's good news for them. They played it well. $300 million. Great, great news. Great move for them. We figured Call of the Wild was going to be a money loser. I wonder how much money it's actually losing because the, the budget's north of $100 million, yeah. But at least it's made $100 million, So they're, they're recouping some of their losses perhaps. But... I'm, I'm sure they're not happy. Hundred million dollars, and that was the best dog you can come up with for Call of the Wild, which is such a beloved property. They wanted to go the motion capture route. I don't know why. It didn't look great. Togo the dog was so much more yeah. charming. Like yeah. if Harrison Ford is working with a couple mfing charming yep. dogs, how much are we loving that? As opposed to relying on Harrison Ford to just act against you know a, a tennis a... ball on a stick. No, he's he's acting with a guy on in, in on all fours. In all, on all fours. No, I'm sure he doesn't think that's ridiculous at all. <laughs> he, he did it. He did it. They paid him enough money. Mike, the movie I did see and I'm going to review is Emma. It made five million over the weekend. It made twenty million worldwide. So that's kind of cool. Uh, I'm very high on it. That could be an Oscars film at least in, in a couple categories. So stay tuned for that review. Optimism. You would think that one played well in probably the European markets, being based on a Jane Austen novel. So I don't think we have a lot of information about Corona spreading much to like England yet. Not yet. So let us know. Yeah. We have a lot of listeners across the pond. Yeah. So All curious. right. Curious. Let's pivot. That's the box office update for this weekend. We'll go into to reviewing some trailers now. Trailer thoughts. Connected, Michael. This is the new. Lord and Miller, Sony animation film, of course, the uh, producers of Into the Spider-Verse, the direct writer-directors of Cloudy with a Chance of Meatballs, they know their animated films. Yeah, they bring their second animated film for Sony to life as an everyday family balances the Ladybird story with the iRobot story. <laughs> Another suburban fantasy here, and transparently, it's in the <laughs> point of view of the parents. Yes. Uh, I thought that was interesting. And I, I think that's happening a lot throughout this slate in terms of Soul. Like, Soul's going to be with the dad, right, right, for the most part. I think that's very interesting. And this is basically about a parent parental complaint of their children. <laughs> it's a movie for children about a parental complaint of their children. So I can still totally see parents who are like bringing their kids and then they're like, see, this is the lecture I give you all the time. Here's a fun way to have it. I would not want to see that if I was a teenager being dragged in the right? theater. By. Uh, but this trailer does look fantastic and I think you're right. It's a commentary on the family dynamic, uh, our attachment as a society to technology against the backdrop of a coming to age film and let's just throw in a robot uprising in there as well. Lord and Miller seem to be like doing serious work as far as bringing Sony animation as a serious threat in that sphere. Look, here's my take. Yeah, here's what's I was thinking of you. Price of admission. Pug people, we must unite! Finally! <laughs> Look, there's so many pug jokes in this trailer, and I mean, it just it got me so hard. I was crying laughing at one point. I had to sh send it to my family. They're, they, oh, my God. 
Pug people, we need to see this movie. We need the world not to be apocalyptic at this point. Yeah. And if it is apocalyptic, do I risk a journey somewhere to get a copy of this film? It's like that one of my quests in this post-apocalyptic world. Might as well, right? I mean, I mean, yeah, the whole thing about fighting a bunch of Evas from Wally, that's fun. That's yeah, cool. that's that looks fine. Great. But give me more of that dog. Give me the pug people. <laughs> that dog was freaking adorable oh, in this hysterical. as well. Yeah, hysterical. don't blame you. Greyhound came out as well. We have Tom Hanks bringing what must be a passion project to the big screen as he puts the stress and intensity of Black Hawk down and the war scenes of Pearl Harbor and focuses them on the sea against Nazi submarines. So Hanks was a producer on all of the uh, Band of Brothers HBO World War II series. Mm-hmm. We know that. He has a, he's been a history buff on the subject for decades he doesn't write a lot of stuff. No, he doesn't. He he's written that thing you do. He's written Larry Crown, and now he's written Greyhound as a sole credit in screenwriting. I'm a little c- concerned, I would say, but I'm, I I can't. I would have been too before I saw this trailer. Aaron Schneider is a longtime cinematographer. He is the director here. He's only directed one boring movie with Robert Duvall called Get Low. Mm-hmm. So I'm wondering if Hanks actually did a lot of the quote unquote directing. If this is kind of a a delegation in some way and a, and very much a team effort. I don't mean to speak disparagingly of Schneider, but. With this being a Tom Hanks screenplay and he's starring in it, can't you see him like just all right? This is how it's got to go, right? I, mean, I, I was very confused watching it. Like, like I, I think everything you're saying makes sense because I don't know who's responsible for this because a relatively neophyte writer, Hanks doesn't write much, even though he's one of the most legendary actors we have, with a relatively neophyte director. Shouldn't have something that looks this good. And I thought this the graphics on this looked amazing. That probably answers my previous questions or concerns, I guess, because these battles are full-blown spectacles. Yeah. And I guess you need a VFX guy. You need a cinematographer, cinematographer at the there, helm yeah. there. You need somebody overseeing that. This is not the typical genre film for submarines. U-571, The Hunt for Red October, Das Boot. Yeah, we're not Das Booting this. Those are chamber pieces yeah. that just are nail-biters where you get claustrophobia because you're stuck inside the darn submarines this is not that at all this is just we're showing the full you know wide shot of what's happening on the ocean dunkirk with submarines my goodness it looks great also get low had to have been starring Lil john and the east side boys as well and that was a great picture. They they shared the screen with robert duvall there look that was one of the most boring films (laughs) i've seen in a while don't shout that one out would would Lil john have spiced it up was Robert Duvall being all serious? Well, and then, yeah. Yeah! Of course he would have. Anybody would have. I was chomping at the bit to make that bad joke as soon as you mentioned that name this of that movie. Your bad joke is just, it brings me back to a grudge that I've held against Robert Duvall for a long time. This would have been a lot funnier if it was a grudge against Lil John and the East Side Boys. By I you. remember I was like my early days of punditry, uh-huh. and I was like, oh, this is from a studio I really like. I think it was like Focus Features. I think I see everything from that studio, and I got all hyped for this, and I went to see it like on opening night, and it really let me down. <laughs> I, can't, I don't even have a sense of humor about it, despite <laughs> the fact that get, you know I did you know parodied Little John myself for 10 years. Let's talk awesome. about The Other Lamb, which also had its trailer debut premise are we sure jennifer ken has nothing to do with this movie that features essentially the midsummer cult if it were all female led by a single jesus-like figure and completely unconcerned with putting up the front of kindness and sincerity 
I hope she kills Dario Naharis. I just hope she really does that. <laughs> I think that's going to happen, right? That seemed to be what the whole trailer was leading towards. Uh, look, and I was I was Team Dario during Game of Thrones. Don't get me wrong. Oh, Jesus, but, Malone. But uh, I, I wanted to clarify so that now you could get... Uh... Yeah, now I'm upset with what it is. I thought that was the actor's name. <laughs> I, think, uh, I think this is terrifying. I think, you know... It's one of those movies where hopefully it's a revenge tale on this cult leader because you want him dead because he's basically preying on all these women. Such a sucker for any kind of cult movie or story or anything. I think the whole idea of them is fascinating, and I am in. All right, well, you got to explain this next trailer to me. It's called Seven (laughs) Stages to Achieve Eternal Bliss. Taika Waititi's on all the covers. Just tell me how this is supposed to be funny. Mike, when the cult member breaks into the apartment that Kate Micucci and her husband are are that's her that's her real name. Kate Micucci and her husband are renting this apartment that's yeah. supposedly this breeding yeah. ground for cult members to come in and kill themselves because with. they think Be- the bathtub is is, is it's a sacred place yeah. because Taika Waititi, who was leader of the cult, killed himself in oh. that bathtub, and oh. they find. Find one in there, and he's putting the knife up to his neck. And Kate Micucci is screaming, terrified, and all she does is close the shower curtain so the blood doesn't get everywhere. So I guffawed laughing. It's funny in the sense that they're trying to stop the killing early, <laughs> and then at the end of the trailer, they're helping these people kill themselves. If you saw a man <laughs> killing himself in your bathtub, oh. and your only thought was, I don't want to see this, and also I hope he doesn't get blood everywhere, you didn't try to interfere with the suicide whatsoever. That is objectively funny to me. Alright, it's the definition of a dark comedy (laughs) that I'm terrified of. Okay, here's the main event. Dream Horse. Yeah, the premise. Seabiscuit, but Irish, with much lower stakes. Damn it, Michael. If there's a horse movie that could win over your heart. 68 Metascore, Happy Irish Townsfolk, Tony friggin' Collette at the helm of this one. Come on. Uh, Nope! It's going to what we're watching, Michael. <laughs> All right, fine. It's what we're watching. Emma, I watched Emma. I took my mom. It's a B plus eighty eight. Wow, you were I, that high on I it. really enjoyed this with without any attachment to Jane Austen. Uh, I think uh, Eleanor Catton, the screenwriter, she adapted the book here. And just, I mean, she gave me one of the more engaging romances I've seen in a while. So this story is that popular for a reason. It does modernize. It does play well uh, on me as a cynical man who doesn't believe in love type of person in in the world who's also afraid of the rest of the theater going public at the the (laughs) movie theater I went to on Friday. Currently, yeah. I still went to see it. I wanted to see it. It's, it's, it's worth a few laughs, even though I, I would say it's better as a romance and a drama than it is a comedy. But most importantly, Mike, these production values are just astounding. The costume design is atop the list, uh, should be under consideration come Oscar time. I mean, if uh, you know, Little Women and The Favorite, they've gotten back-to-back uh, nods in the last few years. If they're up for costume design every year this level work well this is a true period piece too so this is the type that the academy usually salivates over when it comes to costume design and they could be even more desiring it because they didn't really get one last year and there's style to these costumes as well and the cinematography it's just so crisp it's so cool looking this director autumn de wild she's uh 
either number one. She's either incredibly blessed by that name, or it's one of the greatest that stage is name, a great name stage <laughs> names ever. Anyway, she's had a full career as a photographer, as a mu- music video director. So she puts her stamp on this burgeoning film career with the visuals of this movie. I mean, you see things that you don't get to see. I mean, it, it's the best I've seen since, well, all right, last week, Portrait of a Lady on Fire. <laughs> but it's one the, between those two, I would go back and say visually, in terms of production design, cinematography, and costume design, these are some of the more unique and pleasurable experiences I've had in a while. Got to say, that's one of the more positive reviews of that movie that I've heard because I I don't want to say it's polarizing, but I think people have been relatively above average with it. They haven't been blown away by it. They haven't said it's awful, but I haven't seen anyone really like giving it all kinds of credit and props. Like I was surprised yeah, to, to really enjoy it, and I I, I did. Good. All the bright places I watched this on Netflix. In my opinion, this was a big swing and a miss. Uh, Look, there are just contrivances in the story that I can't forgive. The movie, the movie's plot is too like movie perfect, mm-hmm. and when you throw in something so heavy, dramatic irony really bothers me. What is the basic plot of this? I've not heard of this movie. The movie starts out with a girl about to commit suicide. A boy stops her. Uh-huh. All right, so you're dealing with basically teenage suicide. That's right. the plot of the film that's the theme of the film you're dealing with that you're dealing with serious psychological issues and people's understanding of mental illness it turns into this rom commy kind of plot it doesn't stay there you can't throw dramatic irony into that where it seems just forced mm. in my opinion like and this is based on a ya novel that's not a true story I would like to see the true story version of this. I think that's probably more useful to people in terms of trying to learn about this. But I kind of went into this movie trying to learn about this. Once I saw the subject matter, I was like, I, I don't need a YA novel version of this. Yeah. Right? Yeah. Well, I work with kids. This I was age, going I to say, this probably impacts you more in yeah. that way, too, because you're so close to the subject matter. or Not the subject matter, but at least the, the subject of the movie and, and kids that age. So I can see that. It bothered me. Yeah. It didn't work on me. Here's something that did work on me, though. Briar Patch. This is on the USA Network. This is from writer... I say, honestly, I have not seen a single review of this yet. Writer-creator Andy Greenwald, Mike, who yeah, is the, from the watch. Ringer. He's from The Ringer. He's our hero. Yeah. He's somebody I've been listening to for five years. Mm-hmm. I, I, just, I just love their stuff going back to Grantland uh, with Chris Ryan there. And the best first episode of a new series in a long damn wow. time. But this is also right up my alley. This is a murder mystery. This is an ensemble cast built around Rosario Dawson. You have Alan Cumming. You had Ed Asner. Look, it's very much a whodunit where you're just like, I think they did it. And then 10 minutes later, I think they did it. But there's also a Texas zoo, a local Texas zoo, that was raided. And, Mike, there are animals like tigers and elephants and giraffe just roaming around oh, I like texas which I is like, like a cool a preposterous <laughs> weird thing that is always happening you also have like this major issue of like these two gun runners mm-hmm. being like situated here so a lot of good decent a b c d storylines to chew into Oh my God! There's like a disease storylines. Nice. I'm only four episodes in, and the huge thing happened at the end of episode four. A huge thing happened at the ep- end of episode one. Two and three were solid. I bet they're intriguing. But I mean, this movie, this this TV show is already having major goods delivered. In I can't two remember out of four if this episodes. is a 
multi-season one, or if this is supposed to be a mini-series just contained into it's one season? based on a book, and I could see how they can make it a multi-season thing, because she is like a political fixer, and she's going back to her hometown for a very specific reason that they tell you about in the first scene. Gotcha. Scene, because it's a whodunit, you're going to get why. Look, you can basically just follow her around for ten seasons if it's a hit. It's I just... Carrie Washington's scandal, but with the animals escaped from the zoo. The animals. I'm all for it. It's kind of fun. <laughs> all right, you're going to talk about UFC 248 here, and your review. I did not watch it because I ordered Wilder Fury two, and that's a lot of money, and I don't have that, <laughs> so I didn't watch this UFC fight. Uh, I instead watched the WWE pay per view last night. But your review is pretty much what I've seen historically. The main event sucked. Sucked. But the undercard was unbelievable. This was a big night for me because if. It, 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 if I just tuned in for the final fight, because my brother orders these and he gets me to watch right. them with him, sure, which is fun. I I, lo- I really enjoyed watching these. Good with my bonding brother. time. Big it's brother good. week. You have onward. You got this exactly. But the main event, Adesanya versus Romero, was just two guys who are apparently counter punchers dancing around each other, <laughs> waiting for one to throw. It's like the a first Simpsons punch. episode, yeah. And in the first round, Romero is just literally just posing like a rock'em sock'em robot that is not moving i thought it was like gamesmanship it was the weirdest thing right and he's so dangerous even at 42 years old that the the 30 year old guy adesanya who's big who's a great striker basically dancing around him he comes in to throw a few punches and romero clocks him immediately <laughs> so for the next four rounds adesanya just kicking him in the leg right and wa- and staying away so poor mesh of styles there it terrible like, yeah. mesh of styles and adesanya won because as he put it i fucked up his leg though Right, people <laughs> booed it. They booed this this fight. Back. Usually, the the one thing I, I have a lot of problems with UFC. I have a lot of problems with WWE. But uh, one thing I do like a lot about how Dana White handles things is that he is usually on the side of the fans. And when the fans come out and shit all over a match because the two competitors aren't doing their worth, he'll come out in his post press conference and say, "Yeah, those guys should be ashamed of themselves." So uh, he does. He takes it to the fighters when they deserve it. Here's who should not be ashamed of themselves, though: Wiley Zhang, yeah. and Joanna. Jed Rizaychek. God, is this the one with a head? Oh my yeah, God. that was disgusting. This is the greatest fight I've ever seen, I think. They beat the crap out of one another for 25 her minutes. Her head was literally misshapen. It was misshapen because she got punched in the oh forehead, so her, her head turned into like a 12 head. And then we basically had Rocky Three, the end of Rocky Three, where Creed and Rocky are punching each other oh at the same God. time. We had that happen in like five exchanges. They completely beat the crap out of each other. I cannot believe that they kept going at the same pace that they started at. I, I think they're both elite, elite fighters. This made for an insane fight. I, I agreed with the final decision because I think you know Wiley landed more power punches and and hurt. Well, you know, yeah, you can't more. award the, a woman that looks like that the winner after. I mean, she looked, her head, Yeah, there are screenshots online. She literally looks like a like seventh grader's drawing of every alien She looks ever like seen. the end of a horror movie. Yeah, yeah. It's, it's disgusting. I mean, she needs, I, I hope she's okay. I hope she's okay too, but what an absolute terrific fighter she yeah and that blew up online people were very it's not like you bought the pay-per-view for that fight but that was the one that clearly stole the show according to everyone absolutely stole the show if the fight previous to that did not because there was a great round between derouche and close who basically these guys were just beating the shit out of each other right well they they, in the first round it was like one guy was going to submit the other like derouche was going to submit the close guy right and he's on his back trying to choke him Mm -hmm. and close somehow not tapping out. 
It was crazy. <laughs> so that's the first round. And then in the second round, Close hits him hard like four times. And it's like, oh, my God, Darush is in trouble. Darush is in trouble. <laughs> and then Darush hits Close once, knocks him out. Oh, wow. Oh, my goodness. It was like the most. Great. It was the greatest reversal. That's what reversal. you want from a fight, yeah. It was the craziest reversal. I can't believe that happened. So uh, UFC 248 was a great watch. The The main card sucked, and it was, still was great. The main event sucked. The main event. The, un- the undercard right. was no, great. No, the, the yeah. main card, yeah, it was good. But I, you know, I watched the whole thing. I was bored and not going to the movies. <laughs> Let me tell you what I watch mostly, Mike, and this is like, if I know I get boring on what we're watching because I don't watch new things because like you like to say, I'm stuck in 2003. You're stuck. In I am stuck in 2010 right now. I cannot really? stop watching well, you're the, progressing. the Office and Parks and Rec okay. back and forth. I've given up YouTube. This is all I watch anymore. It's just huh. these two shows, these Mike Sure shows. There is some kind of visual cocaine in these shows that once you start them you just need more to satiate your desire and i can't stop and it's a problem it's really a problem like i will do this i will watch these shows that i have seen five times each already six times each already just in lieu of doing anything else with my life this is an issue I've said it before, but this is why these shows can sell for a half a billion dollars to all these streaming platforms. You are the, you know, test case. Prototypical, absolutely. Absolutely. Why that's happening. Did you give up on The Outsider? I haven't haven't kept up with it yet. And this is what I'm talking about. Like, the only other show I've kept up with is McMillions, Mm -hmm. which is... I think they're starting to get a little long in the two. Like, we need to wrap this up now. you got to just explain how the guy did this. I didn't love the episode four. Same here, yeah. And The Outsider, like, it never reattained. Am I getting to leftover status with this? Am I just going to be like, at the end of the season, what the fuck? I think the last two episodes were strong. Uh, to me, it didn't quite pay off, but it's very Stephen Kingy. So, all right, it's it's strong. Like, there's a bunch of episodes in the middle there. I think I liked one of them. Yeah. The first two episodes were great. Great! I, There's I, a reason it falls off, though. I've been thrilled to find Briar Patch. Right. I've been really happy to find that as a, as a new show to really watch as appointment viewing. The Outsider, I was more or less let down by. I started, I did watch the first episode of Lock and Key on Netflix as well. It's okay. not for me. You may like it, actually. It's, it definitely has more fantasy elements to it. So Joe Hill, I've read Nosferatu, I've read Horns, I've read a couple of his books, and I've seen Horns, the movie. I haven't seen Nosferatu, the show. He's a good writer. He's like yeah. his dad. He's yeah, I, I mean, I could see the appeal yeah. of it, but it's just it's the exact type of thing that I can't. And he wrote this direct. I don't. Th- oh, there's comics. He wrote this directly for comics with somebody, right? And then they're basically behind this. So right, and I think that's a Stephen King property as well. As a matter of fact, if I if I remember, right. it has King. some kind well, of attachment to well, it. Or Joe something. Hill, his son. Oh, it's, it's Stephen the- King's son's property. Look. Name yourself King, all right? Make it easy for me. Don't let me have these mental gaps in front of a microphone. We could all be friends, all right? I can't, he didn't want to, but now, that, I don't know. Everybody should know that. Joe King of the Hill, then everybody's happy. All right, let's move on and close up I think here. His name is Joe Hill King. I don't know, I forget. <laughs> Some audience interaction. We had Sean Connery going to Octavia Spencer. We had a lot of great submissions this week, Michael. Yeah, and a bunch of efficiency awards at Matt Starfighter, Ken Murray at Murray Maker, and RR and Savage entering Green Hill Zone at RY6 Crates. They I like Green Hill Zone. They all said Sean Connery was in The Untouchables with Kevin Costner, who's in Hidden Figures with Octavia Spencer. Just me wiping my hands like a dealer at the blackjack table. Great job there. Amy Smith at Films with Amy Sean Connery was in the 1998 Avengers. Let me tell you, when that movie came out, I remember to this day, I remember thinking, how cool is it that we're getting 
an Avengers movie now, why isn't anyone talking about it? Isn't Captain America going to be in this? Like, I would think it'd be a bigger deal. No, not at all. Proper response and anticipation for that movie, I would say. But Ralph Fiennes was in it, though, Mike. He was in it. Thank you for getting me back on track. Who was apparently in Doolittle as well, which also starred Octavia Spencer. Movie Shelf at Movie Shelf Pod. They said three movies. Sean Connery was with Nicolas Cage in The Rock, who was in Trapped in Paradise with Richard Jenkins, who was in The Shape of Water with Octavia Spencer. Bing, bang, boom, again. I wouldn't think that Dwayne Johnson has Nicolas Cage inside of him, but that's, I guess, a different issue for a different day. Hop Nation USA at Hop Nation USA. I'm so sorry. Sean Connery was in The Rock with Nick Cage, who was in Spider-Man Into the Spider-Verse, which, of course, was helmed and created originally by Stan Lee, who was in Spider-Man 2002 with Octavia Spencer. Going with the Stan Lee connection. <laughs> There you go. It might be like the Desmond Llewellyn connection that, uh, you know, Dark Nook or Wojciech could have taken last week and didn't. I forget. Who right, right, right. Yeah, I remember yeah, what you're yeah, talking yeah. about. Yeah. Anyway, Dark Nook. <laughs> that was a good Dark, pause. <laughs> Dark Nook at Dark Nook Shop. He has three, and I, I think this is skill here, because he said Octavia Spencer was in Snowpiercer, a.k.a. Willy Wonka's yes. Class Warfare Train yes. with Ed Harris, clearly playing an adult Charlie Bucket. <laughs> And Harris was in The Rock with Sean Connery. Do so I give one. my spiel right now about how Snowpiercer is the exact same layout and issues as Parasite, or do I wait on that? Never. Okay. I'll give that. If the crickets could come out of my mouth, <laughs> and the sound of crickets, rather. Uh, not, not cricket crickets, bars. Like, not, like, like a, not like the B version of Candyman, but crickets right. for me and like, right. like a white person, because I have... I have no idea what you're going for here. I'm not good <laughs> at motifs. Were you just selling yourself in. as a writer a couple of segments ago? Not good at writing in motifs. Let somebody else handle the motifs. The cricket motif would be terrible. The last 25 minutes of each film sabotaged each film. Dark Nook's number two efficiency award was Octavia Spencer played a waitress and four dogs playing poker with Tim Curry, who was in The Hunt for Red October with Connery. The Hunt for Red October, I haven't seen in years, but I remember liking it once upon a time. Absolutely. Yeah. And then his third one was uh, one of Octavia Spencer's first roles was in season five, episode seven of ER. Sean Connery has <laughs> ER in his name. And he capitalized the ER in Connery, and I don't know how that doesn't win. It, may, it, it, <laughs> That's made, right it made me laugh. That's <laughs> right up our alley. All right, the last efficiency award winner here the Bizarre Movie Ideas and Funny Clips at Ideas Bizarre. Ask, was Sean Connery ever in a film with Peter O'Toole? If he was, Peter O'Toole was in Troy with Tyler Maine, who was in Halloween 2 with Octavia Spencer. So we answered that we didn't think so. We sent a gif out mm -hmm. there. But we were sternly corrected by, yet again, Dark Nook at Dark Nook Shop. He said, <laughs> come on, Sean Connery was in James Bond with Bond girl Plenty O'Toole. <laughs> and Bond quips... She must be named after her father, presumably, Peter. Named so, after your father, presumably. <laughs> we stand corrected, right? Tits O'Toole. Oh, that God. was that character's original name. The Film Rogue Award uh, from Oliver Hetherington Page at A Twist of Oliver. Sean mm -hmm. Connery voiced a dragon in Dragonheart. Benedict Cumberbatch also voiced a dragon in the Hobbit movies. Benedict Cumberbatch voiced Shere Khan in Mowgli, Legend of the Jungle. Mm -hmm. Idris Elba also voiced Shere Khan in Disney's 2016 The Jungle Book. I like it. Idris Elba also voiced a character in Zootopia. I think it was a tiger. Which also features the voice of Jason Bateman as a fox. Marion Cotillard also voices a fox in Doolittle, which features Octavia Spencer voicing a duck. I like how we put all the animal names in there just so we need to know. That's very good. The War Eagle. Here is the War Eagle Award because it's in honor of 
you'll see. Yeah. Jordan Beck, at Dr. Underscore Magnifico, says Sean Connery was in Dragonheart with David Thewlis, who was in The Big Lebowski with Julianne Moore. He included the gif from that great scene. Great scene. Anyway, Julianne Moore was in Benny and June with Johnny Depp, who was in Ed Wood with Bill Murray, who was in Space Jam with Charles Barkley. I love this. <laughs> who went to Auburn University. Same as Octavia Spencer. Oh, that's awesome. I see. I like Six Degrees of MMO because I usually learn things. I did not know Octavia Spencer was a graduate of uh, War Eagle. There. Very cool. The no school like the old school Aurora to our buddy there, Robert Doherty, at Robert Doc 1984, 1984. Connery was impersonated on SNL by Daryl Hammond for years, I might add, yes. who also impersonated Donald Trump for years, I might add, who was in Home Alone 2 with Macaulay Culkin, who's in My Girl with Anna Klumsky, who's in Veep with <laughs> Julia Louis-Dreyfus, who's in Onward with Octavia Spencer. I didn't realize until now that the My Girl girl was in the same girl in Veep. That's amazing. I love that. Yeah. And that's probably why I've always loved that character. Yeah. Played by Anna Chlumsky. Klumsky. I thought I think it's Klumsky. Robert Doherty plays the game. The way it was originally yeah. meant to be played, and he just brings up unique connections every time. He's a veteran of the the, uh, the, the pro game. You know? Anyway, the best presentation this week went to Too Bossy at Too Bossy Three T O O Bossy Number Three, and they put out a great picture. I just thought this was great. I mean, the the connections are similar, but go on our Twitter yeah. feed and find this picture. Great I retweeted layout. it. Sean Connery was in The Rock with Ed Harris, who was in A Beautiful Mind with Russell Crowe, who was in Superman, A Man of Steel with Michael Shannon, uh, who was in The Shape of Water with Octavia Spencer. Go Should see that nominated as well, Michael Shannon's in that, pres- uh, that uh, performance. Mm-hmm. David Lynch Award, the left peak of the Twin Peaks, goes to Mark Burgundy at the One Hanson. Sean Connery's first role was in Lilacs in the Spring with Errol Flynn, who played Robin Hood. Robin Hood, Men in Tights, starred Carrie Elways, who was in The Princess Bride with Andre the Giant, a Love it. who played Bigfoot in an episode of The Six Million Dollars man with Lee Majors, who had a cameo in Scrooge, which is a Christmas film, as is Bad Santa 2, which has Octavia Spencer in it. I like that. A lot of, a lot of big names in that one, too. I like The Princess Bride, but Robin Hood Men in Tights might be the most underrated satire in history. Mel Brooks, man. Mel Brooks. Uh, the David Lynch Award right peak of the Twin Peaks goes to Nolan Roberts. At Nolan Roberts 17, he said, Sean Connery is portrayed by Daryl Hammond in the iconic SNL sketch Celebrity Jeopardy. Yes. Which, of course, co-starred Will Ferrell, Ferrell who played Alex Trebek, who on special occasions has hosted episodes of Wheel of Fortune, usually hosted by Pat Sajak, who had a cameo in an episode of The King of Queens, which, of course, stars... Kevin James, wow. who in Pixels, Michael, was President of the United States. Uh, that I remember. I do not remember Alex Trebek hosting Wheel of Fortune. <laughs> Another fictional President of the United States is Martin Sheen in The West Wing, which co-starred Joshua Molina, who was in The Big Bang Theory, which at one point featured a cameo from Octavia Spencer. God, I hate that show. The winner <laughs> this week. And he actually added a degree of difficulty going through the marvelous Mrs. Maisel, our old friend, Wojciech Vyshor here, Swamp Thing, played by CGI Emma Stone. Here we go. Octavia Spencer was a victim of Michael Myers in the Halloween so franchise. So right there he gets our attention. Appealing to our hearts. Yes. Uh, same as Luke 
Kirby. In Marvelous Mrs. Maisel, Kirby played Lenny Bruce, who was portrayed in Lenny by Dustin Hoffman. So we reviewed the Lenny-Dustin Hoffman portrayal, and I've reviewed Marvelous Mrs. Maisel. I just think, you know, the Lenny Bruce-Luke Kirby role, one of the best things about that great show. It's one of the best. It's probably the best show on television, period, but that is one of my favorite parts of it. I feel like Wojciech's just been taking notes of our shows yeah, and he our does filmography this is, this reviews is, this that we've been doing yeah. here. <laughs> we ate it up, though. You pandering won. to us, and that's why he wins, yes. <laughs> uh, in 1989, Hoffman starred in Family Business alongside Sean Connery. Anytime you can get Dustin Hoffman and Michael Myers into the same link, that's fairly impressive. Uh, all right, Wojciech, you are the winner. You are the owner of all things bragging rights, six degrees of MMO-related this week. I can't remember our chair. I know it was shamrock-shaped. It's I know it had shamrock of, shakes in it. Do we do this one for the sequel? Oh no, it's a sham, it's a shamrock shaped chair. Yeah, and there are shamrock shapes in the cup holders. Yes, with million dollar tickets on the end. Right, that's right. That's now, right. Now the question is, are those million dollar tickets on the shamrock shapes mm-hmm. going to deter people from going near it, mm. or are going to invite people to try and and pull the fraud over America's eyes mm. like the Monopoly thing has done? Mm. Mm-hmm. So we have to make a decision one way or the other. <laughs> um, I think it's going to want people to go near it, except that the uh, the chair is coated in coronavirus. But Wojciech seated it. It has the immune. He's immune to it now because he's like Bane. He was raised well, in Corona. Shamrock shapes of shakes. Yeah. Are, you know, if you make them a little Irish. Notoriously known to kill coronavirus. <laughs> Notoriously known to kill coronavirus. So right there, he's okay, but nobody can go near him. He's just... Right. Heavy lies the head that wears the crown. He's literally a king on top of his throne here that cannot be touched by any mere mortal. So how do we get this flying off into the orbit? <laughs> I don't know. That's for next week, man. That's for next week. That's for next week, Mike and Mike. <laughs> Not this week's Mike and Mike. Uh, Wojciech is the winner at Swamp Thing. The winner, I'm uh, oh, sorry, at Swamp Thing, at Wojciech Vyshore is the winner. All things Six Degrees of MMO Bragging Right related. Michael, what is the challenge for the good people for next week? Okay, so we have Thomason McKenzie, who is one of our favorite young actresses yes. from Leave No Trace, from Jojo Rabbit. She's going to be in the new Edgar Wright movie coming out this year. But before that, Michael, she is going going to be in this weekend's movie of the week, I guess you could say, from Netflix called Lost Girls. So Thomason McKenzie to someone who, when I think of Austin, I think of two people. I think of Robert Rodriguez and I think of this guy who's special on Austin City Limits, blew me away, mm. which I've seen on you know Dave Grohl's HBO music documentary. I forget what that was called. I know what you're talking about. I can't think of the name off the top of my head. In a seamless edit here, it was called Sonic Highways. That's what I was going to say. <laughs> and there's a huge segment on Stevie Ray Vaughan. Plays an outstanding rendition of Voodoo Child as well. Oh, my God. Yeah. I, I watched that special on YouTube. It's on YouTube, and it's just, he's shredding. He's melting Stevie Ray Vaughan, I had a period in high school where I was obsessed with him. He is absurd what Look, he can do with the guitar. He's probably accounted for a lot of people alarming their friends and relatives with their fashion choices i would say (laughs) but as a guitarist (laughs) as a guitarist he's one of the best ever and as a musician he's cool so we're gonna go thomason mckenzie to stevie ray vaughn that is your six degrees of mmo challenge for this week 
That is your MMO Weekly for this week as well. Guys, we obviously want to hear from you as always. Your thoughts, comments, questions, concerns about anything we covered in this episode and anything we do in the Mike, Mike, and Oscar empire. You can leave us those. We are Mike, Mike, and Oscar on Facebook. Mike, Mike, and Oscar on Instagram. At MM and Oscar on Twitter. Mike, Mike, and Oscar at gmail.com.com and on Reddit. We are available everywhere you hear podcasts, including and especially Apple Podcasts. And if you would be so kind, if you're going to be confined to your house anyway, listening to podcasts, <laughs> if you wouldn't mind going on Apple Podcasts app and leaving us a five-star review review that would really help us out a lot yes, michael sir. what is coming next and what are some words of wisdom in these trying times well we're going to do an episode to help you get through these trying times we're going to do a top fives episode on everything and streaming what we recommend what we are curious to see and we're going to put out a big twitter question asap about what are your recommendations mm. and what have you seen that you love? What do you recommend we see and review? So I'll get ahead of that right now and do tell us. Yeah. You know, that, that's going to be our next episode. So you got to hurry up with it. But do tell us what are your recommendations and how do you think people should spend their quarantine time, you know, over the next few weeks? And, and what, are, what do you watch at home? Yeah, I think that's that's very wise. And as far as uh, words for wisdom as well, you Look, have written down here. Stay safe. Yeah. Everybody stay wash safe. Wash your hands. Wash your hands a lot. A lot. Just sing a song while you're washing your hands. It'll go by quicker. you got to do it at least 20 seconds. Why? Do you have a phobia of not washing your hands? I, I thought you do. You don't have a phobia because you always wash your hands because I, you're a germaphobe. Yeah, I, I cover myself. and I went on a Purell hunt this past weekend, uh, and I did not find any, even though it doesn't really protect against this virus anyway. But uh, people in my life insist that it will. So <laughs> You just think. I, I would rather shut them up than... Have that but argument. use real soap if you yes, don't have Purell. Yes. And use real soap. Good. And then that is, uh, yeah, guys, stay safe. Uh, stay indoors. Don't talk to people. Just as a general <laughs> no. rule. Even if this virus goes away, just don't talk to just people. Just watch movies. Yeah. <laughs> when reality sucks, you can come watch these movies with us. We are Mike, Mike, and Oscar trying to make awards season year-round without the stuffiness. We will see you all very soon. See you.